welcome to Socially Powered Digital Marketing Show, the digital marketer's guide to emerging technology covering blockchain, cryptocurrency, and social media disruption. Hey there, I'm Aaron Sell, your host of the show. This week, we will be discussing what exactly is Bitcoin and how is it important to the future of society? We've got our guest, Jimmy Song, who is a Bitcoin maximalist. Before we get into the show, I wanted to tell you guys, so as many of you know, I help with social media. And one of the things that I have to do is report each month on on how we're performing. And I used to spend hours and hours, basically like a full day of compiling all the all these reports and since i started using agora pulse i have taken that time from you know 8 hours ish to basically i can get all of my reporting done in less than an hour which is amazing their reporting is truly top notch and they don't nickel and dime you like so many of the other analytical tools. So if you're interested in checking out Agorapulse, I highly recommend you go and use my affiliate code and that's going to give you a 15-day free trial. But on top of that, you will also get two months free if you use the code Aaron, the number two, so E-R-I-N two free. And, and when you do that, then you'll get basically two and a half months free. So let's go ahead and dive into this awesome interview with Jimmy Song. Welcome to the Socially Powered Digital Marketing Show. I'm super excited to have Jimmy Song here today with me. Welcome, Jimmy. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. Yeah, so you are like an OG Bitcoin blockchain personality, per se. <laughs> I guess you could say that. I've been in uh, in the space since 2011. I, I don't know if that's that, uh, I think OG that, enough, that makes you an yeah, OG. I, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> so, sure. so the first thing I, I wanted to ask you is, how did you first learn about Bitcoin and, and what got you excited about the space? Yeah, so I first heard about Bitcoin back in 2011 uh, when I read a Slashdot article. And I don't know if your listeners would know even what that website I is. I don't know but what that is. At so. least back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least back then, it was like a website for techie people like me. I've been a programmer all my life. So, uh, you know, their tagline is like... Um, tech news, important stuff, something like that. Uh, news for nerds, basically. So okay. I, uh, I, uh, I was reading the site and uh, almost exactly 10 years ago, uh, I think it was February of 2011. So it, it, it was like 10 years in a month, something like that. Right. Uh, there was a story on there that I didn't know what it was. And it, it basically said, Bitcoin has reached dollar parity. And that, that was the headline. And Bitcoin was spelled with a big B and a big C. So I was like, okay, what, what is this thing? And, you know, looking at it, um, 
So I, I, I dug into it because I didn't know anything about it. And uh, almost immediately, I found out about the 21 million limit. And I was like, oh, man, um, if this thing has any legs whatsoever, I better be one of the first people to get it and not one of the last. That was my like initial instinct. Um, so I tried to go buy it. Uh, and I was like thinking, OK, well, you know, I should be able to buy it with a credit card or something. Um, couldn't find anywhere that sold it for a credit card. Tried to find a, you know somebody that would sell it to me. Couldn't find anyone that would sell it to me. Um, so at that point, I was just kind of like, okay, uh, what do I do? And then I found out about exchanges. The biggest exchange at the time was, of course, Mt. Gox. And Mt. Gox was in Japan. It's an exchange. Uh, and in order to get money to Mt. Gox was kind of an arduous process. What you had to do was open an account with a company called Dwala. Link your bank account to Dwala wait a few days, uh, confirm the deposits that, may, that they made, then you can deposit, that takes a few days. Then after that, you can, uh, you can link it to Mt. Gox, and then that would take a few days, with your account at Mt. Gox, that would take a few days, then you can transfer money from Douala to Mt. Gox. So it was, it was kind of a really annoying and difficult process. Right. So um, I, I started it and I was like, ah, this is stupid. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. Probably one of the biggest regrets of my life because I could have gotten in on a lot of Bitcoin at a dollar and I didn't. So um, <laughs> that summer it went from one dollar all the way up to thirty and crashed back down to a dollar again. At that point, I was just like, okay, I, I better, I better get some uh, because you know this thing might have legs. And, uh, and that's how I got into it. Um, after that, 2013 was when I really started coding in it uh, because I, I learned about the technical stuff and I'm a coder. So I wanted to know the details. Um, and, you know, I, I've been in the space ever since. That's awesome. So for some of my listeners, they may not even know what Bitcoin is. So can, mm. you, can you give them an explanation <laughs> sure. So uh, Bitcoin is what we would call digital gold. And, um, and you know, the properties of gold there, you can, you know, kind of, uh, it, it's, it's very scarce. Uh, it's, it, it's pretty durable. Um, in addition, it's been used as money for a long time. Um, the other thing about gold that's really nice is that it's decentralized. And by that, I mean, you don't need anyone's permission to go look for gold. If you're producing gold, you could pretty much do it anywhere. It doesn't really matter. As long as you own that land, um, like I could go to my backyard and dig for gold. Of course, I'm not likely to find any <laughs> because I don't live over a gold mine. Uh, but, you know, anyone that has land can essentially go look for gold and, uh, and do whatever with it. This is in contrast to the U.S. dollar, which... Um, if you create a hundred dollar bill on your own, uh, you will get arrested and uh, by the Secret Service because you are not allowed to produce a hundred dollar bill. Uh, only the Department of Treasury is allowed to, and uh, more expansively, the Federal Reserve uh, can create money, but no one else can. So it's it's decentralized, um, like gold. Uh, but it's also digital. Digital meaning that it it works all in cyberspace. So it's very, uh, among other things, it's very easy to transfer. This is why we don't really use gold for money anymore because it's hard to physically transport. We we do a lot of our transactions online, for example, um, overseas. If you're paying your suppliers or whatever, it's uh, it happens digitally. 
Um, and that digital aspect is, is, is makes trade a lot easier, especially over large distances. So Bitcoin is both digital and decentralized, which is uh, kind of mind-blowing for most people because when they think of digital things, they're their mental model is that of like an MP3 file or, you know, an email or something like that, which any of which can be infinitely replicated with perfect fidelity, right? Like uh, it, it's exact copies of, uh, of one another. So how can something like that be scarce? Well, it can uh, through what Satoshi Nakamoto invented, and that was Bitcoin. Um, and it's based on something called the blockchain. And it's essentially a large ledger of uh, every transaction that's ever been on, uh, on Bitcoin. And that, that's, uh, you know, it, those properties of uh, decentralization and being digital are what give it utility. But what's even more is its scarcity. It is perfectly scarce. There will never, ever be more than 21 million Bitcoins. And those three properties together make it almost a perfect money, um, a money that is better than anything else that has ever existed. Uh, and given that it's been scarce for 12 years, there's a good reason to believe that the scarcity will continue going forward. I was just looking as we're as you're chatting here what the price is uh, right now. <laughs> And we are at fifty thousand nine hundred twenty-one. So, mm. yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty good uh, price yeah, right so, now. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's crazy to think that back when you first were, you know, finding out about Bitcoin, it was a dollar, and now it's worth over fifty thousand. That's yeah, insane. ten years, fifty thousand x. Yeah, it's right. it's been a pretty good, uh, pretty good run for Bitcoin, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so tell me, why do you think that Bitcoin is so important to society as a whole? Uh, Bitcoin is important to society because it changes what I would call like the base layer of civilization. So um, everything is kind of built on money and the current uh, system is built on, um, on fiat money, which is entirely debt. Uh, so uh, the, the current system everyone is up to their eyeballs in debt. This is governments, companies, individuals, uh, everyone, that, that, that's how the entire system works. So um, if you think about it, and, uh, and this is, uh, a lot of this is covered in my book, Thank God for Bitcoin. Um, what you end up doing is bringing consumption forward. Uh, that's essentially what that allows you to do. Um, instead of saving, 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 and then buying the car that you always wanted, um, instead, you can go into debt, get the car you want, and then have to pay it off for the next five, six years or however long. Um, and th this, this concept of, uh, of bringing, uh, uh, bringing consumption forward and, and sort of like delaying the actual payment of it uh, is pervasive. Uh, so governments do this. They, they deficit spend like crazy and get into tons of debt. Uh, you know that the U.S. government it has a $27 trillion deficit. That's how much, um, you know, forward consumption that they, they've done. Right. And, and they just keep printing money, too. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, every every time they do, it's it's money printed out of thin air. Right. Mm -hmm, like um, mm -hmm. and that's that that's essentially what the deficit is. So they get, uh, say, three trillion dollars in tax revenue um, and they have a budget of four trillion. Where does that extra trillion come from? Well, in a, in a hard money economy, and this is like, um, you know, kings of old or whatever, what they had to do if they wanted to spend more money than they had was to 
um, tax or they had to go borrow. And borrowing was not very easy. You, you had to go find people that actually had the money and borrow it. And they would charge you a rate of interest, uh, which would be fairly high. Um, there was one King John of England who, uh, who borrowed at like a 214% interest rate oh, wow. because, you know, he was funding a war. Um, and they were like, okay, these things generally don't work out. So we're going to make sure we get paid back in like the first six months. And that's, that, that's essentially what they did. Um, so it, it is, uh, it is generally, uh, very difficult, uh, to get money from the actual savers. Um, so what the, that extra trillion dollar deficit, um, what they do is they issue treasuries and there are people in the market that will buy treasuries uh, and other central banks that will buy treasuries as well in the case of the United States. But then, you know, say they sell 500 billion of it, the other 500 billion, they have to make up somehow. And this is where the Federal Reserve steps in. They are called the lender of last resort for that reason. They will buy whatever is left and they will print money to do it. Um, so now, now nominally, the government owes the treasury, I, the, the treasury owes the Federal Reserve $500 billion. And that, that's how the deficit expands. This is, this is the mechanics of the federal deficit. Uh, well, actually, the entire deficit is all treasuries that are outstanding. But a lot of it is essentially held by the Fed. And it's $27 trillion. Now, it's not just at that level. It's at the level below. It's corporations uh, who get to go and get whatever the heck they want and uh, go into debt to do it. This is what they call a leverage buyout. Oftentimes, they will issue corporate bonds in order to um, you know, fund something that they want to do, uh, wh whether it's R&D or um, lowering prices so they can go up against a competitor or whatever. But they're all up, up to their eyeballs in that. And of course, consumers. Um, not only do we have some obvious things like credit card debt, but even mortgages. The mortgage that you get for your house, uh, which uh, say it's a uh, you know, quarter of a million dollars or something like that, that's the mortgage that you have. Um, it doesn't come from somebody's savings, right? The, the way typically the, that people think it works is, okay, I go to the bank, I borrow $250,000, 3%, 30 years, something like that. Um, and there's somebody at the other end that, you know, like, uh, you know, is keeping $250,000 in the bank and that's, that's the, and they're getting maybe paid uh, 2% and that, that, that's, that's how the bank makes money is, uh, is, is that arbitrage. That's not how it works. That's how it used to work. And, uh, and back then uh, mortgage rates were a lot higher. No, the way it works is when you apply for that mortgage, if you meet a certain set of criteria, you will always get the loan. That's because they can uh, they don't they don't have some fixed pool of money that they can lend. They could they they just print the money so that you can borrow it, and they they make a nice profit because they're getting three percent, um, and you get the loan. And think about it, like would would you ever be on the other side of this? You would get like two point five percent over thirty years, and, and and take credit risk like. Like no one would do that, right? Like no one would wait 30 years to get a return of two and a half percent a year. That, those, that's a horrible investment. So what, what ends up happening is everybody at every level is up to their eyeballs in debt because they can get it cheaply through this uh, mechanism of money printing. And that, that, that's what's horribly wrong with the system. Wow, that's uh, you just totally informed me of <laughs> things I had I had no idea about. So, what do you what What are your thoughts around you know what Bitcoin has been doing lately? You know, we we gone up above fifty and then came down to what I think it was like forty four 
was that mm -hmm. yesterday? And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I mean, various things are always happening with Bitcoin, but the, the big thing that anyone needs to know about Bitcoin is there's a fixed supply and it is very credible. It's been 12 years where this 21 million limit hasn't been breached in any way. It won't, it, it hasn't changed. It probably won't change. I would likely say just because of the way the system works, um, it, it, the scarcity and the absolute 21 million limit is more or less sacred to every Bitcoiner. And that that's not going to change. Um, and because of that, uh, because of its fixed supply and increasing demand, it means that, you know, like as, as demand decreases, like there, there's no supply side um, flexibility. Uh, whenever like the oil price increases, you have the Saudis that will produce more oil uh, to take advantage of the oil price. And then that, that will uh, diminish the supply. Uh, I mean, diminish uh, or uh, diminish the price and basically equal, uh, equalize a little bit. Right. Um, with Bitcoin, there is no such mechanism because the supply is absolutely fixed. And that means that as demand goes up, price naturally goes up and you get a lot of volatility because uh, people over leverage and so on. But this is also why Bitcoin is very unique um, and why uh, you have to think of it as money. A lot of people get into Bitcoin and then immediately they look at all coins, right? They, um, I, and I, I believe this is partly out of envy. Oh, I didn't get in on Bitcoin early enough. So I'm going to look for something else and put my hope in that thing. Uh, but in, in reality, um, even if it's a quote unquote better mousetrap, which is almost always the argument, right? It's mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, we have faster blocks or we have this new feature that Bitcoin doesn't have or whatever. The most important thing for money is credible long-term scarcity, right? That's the reason why you buy it is to hold it long-term. Right. If, you, if you don't believe that uh, something is credible long-term, then you're probably not going to have it. And it's not about technology or features. The Federal Reserve tomorrow can add like 30 features onto the dollar and make it super easy to do X, Y, or Z. Um, in fact, many of them are doing that. These are called central bank digital currencies, right? They're, they're adding features to their currency. But that's, that's, uh, that, that's not going to change the fact that they can print money at will. And that means that it doesn't have long-term credible scarcity. And Bitcoin has 12 years of it, and it is better than every other coin in that regard. And that's the, that's the regard in which, it, uh, that's the feature that matters with money. And Bitcoin has 12 years of history. And if you look at uh, the dollar, uh, it really only became truly fiat money in 1971 when Nixon cut ties to gold. So really the dollar is 50 years old. Bitcoin is 12 years old. It's not that far off, right? right. It's 24% of, uh, of the lifespan of, uh, of the dollar. So um, in that way, Bitcoin has this credibility that altcoins don't. And this is why you know, I, I call myself a, uh, or people call me a Bitcoin maximalist because mm -hmm. It, it, it's just a better money than anything else that has ever existed. Do you do you actually have any other like altcoins that you that you like? No. Okay. No. No. I, I, I I've uh, I've looked into them, and I think um, early on I I fell into a similar trap where, you know, I was thinking about altcoins because you know I felt like I didn't get in early enough. Um, and, you know, that happens at every bull cycle. It's like, oh, man, it's, it's so expensive. I thought it was expensive at like 
10 bucks, right? Like, yeah. you know, because uh, like my, uh, this is called like price anchoring or uh, sticky prices or something like that. You, you get anchored to the first price that you saw. Right. And if you first heard about Bitcoin at like $10,000 and now it's 50 and you go, ah, oh, man, I, must, I missed the boat. Now I need to get into something else. Um, you know, that, that, that is a, a very human reaction. I would say that it's also sort of the wrong reaction. That's, uh, that's very much uh, sort of thinking in fiat terms. Um, I, I, I still think people are very early. It's kind of like, um, you know, the internet in 93, 94, you know, a lot of people had heard of it at that point, but not, not many people had actually been on there. Um, right. So, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's still a lot of growth that's ahead and especially given the Fed's monetary policies um, for, in terms of price, I think uh, Bitcoin has a lot, of, a lot of ways to go. Which is funny because I, I'm kicking myself because I heard about Bitcoin and, you know, was producing or not producing at the time, but was doing the social media for the Bad Crypto podcast. And uh. I just still kick myself because I didn't invest in mm. 2017 even. Mm. And I don't yeah. remember what the prices were then. I'm thinking like maybe 3000 ish Yeah, I mean, 2017, it would have... It started the year at about eleven hundred and ended the year at like eleven thousand. So okay. um, you know, any anywhere in between there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I I feel you, and you know, every day I'm like, ah, oh, why didn't I buy more when it was this price or when it was this price? Yeah, and that and regret is a very natural emotion to have with regard to Bitcoin. And right. I I know people that bought in at twenty five cents that regret not buying more at twenty five cents. Right. So of course, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, you you move forward, you take the L, and you know, learn from it. Um, the worst thing to do is to wait for it to go back down to the price that you you first heard of it as sort of like an arbitrary thing. Right. Uh, I mean, if you if you're a trader and you think there's going to be a dip or something, that's fine. But like refusing to buy it because of some regret that you have in the past is probably the worst reason to not buy um, the, yeah. the you know, arguments for Bitcoin stand on its own. So if someone what is your recommendation now for buying Bitcoin? Because there's you know, there's mm. a ton of different ways or places to do it. And it's much easier than it was when you first did it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I, I would say the the best way is to do something called dollar cost averaging, and this is um, the idea of you know some fixed amount at at regular intervals. It could be every day, it could be every week, or something like that. Um, and I, I I knew a friend that did this you know way back in 2000, 2014, 2015. He just bought a fixed amount every day. Um, now they make it like. You know, you actually back then you actually had to go into the app or whatever and like put in a purchase for fifty bucks or whatever. Um, now, now you have uh, you have services that sort of make dollar cost averaging a lot easier. So, Cash App has this feature. Swan Bitcoin has this feature. Um, River Financial has this feature. I'm sure Coinbase and Kraken have something similar or something like that. Um, and the idea is. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a trader, right? Or like know like the dips or whatever. Instead, you just average it out and, mm -hmm. you know, you get the fair price and, um, and you don't have to regret not buying more when the dip happened or whatever. Um, and it, it works for most people because uh, the, the typical question that I get in, in these uh, podcasts or from newbies or whatever is, hey, um, do you think it's going to go down? 
soon, right? Like, and and you could kind of feel the intent behind that question is because, well, should I? The real question is, should I buy now or should I wait for a dip and then buy then? Right. Um, and almost always, what happens with these folks is when the dip actually happens, they don't buy, and it's because oh, they they get a little greedy. They're like, ah, you know what? Let's just wait until it dips a little more. Right. And for consumer <laughs> products, this, that sort of thing is fine, right? Like, oh, you know what? These shoes, you know, they were uh, they were two hundred bucks. Now they're on sale for a hundred. But you know, I don't really need it at a hundred. Um, you know, I'll, they'll probably drop it a little more, and then you 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 wait. Or even if you don't end up buying, it's like you know, those are shoes. Who cares, right? Like, right. But with Bitcoin, with investments, that's not the mentality you want to have. You want you want to be accumulating and making sure you that you get some exposure to the, that upside and doing it in um, some uh, cumulative way, like uh, with dollar cost averaging is very, very effective. And I, I've seen a lot of people have a lot of success with it. And this is probably the easiest way to get your, um, you know, dip your toes in the water because honestly, a lot of people are very bad at investing and trading and they, mm -hmm. Uh, think of themselves as traders that can time the dip and time the top or whatever, um, when in actuality, they do the exact opposite. And it's uh, it's people like that, that the traders um, make money off of. So I, I would hate for you to be that person. So right. buy, hold and, you know, uh, accumulate. Yep. I love that. So do you have any predictions for where Bitcoin's going to end up uh, for 2021? Um, I mean, it, it does, uh, there, there is this happening that happens every four years uh, in Bitcoin, and it takes some time for it to sort of like percolate through the system. So Can you explain that a little bit. Yeah, so the supply of Bitcoin uh, that will ever be is 21 million. Um, and every 210,000 blocks, the uh, well, so uh, the 21 million come come into uh, existence every 10 minutes, right? Like there's uh, some small portion. So at the beginning, it was 50 uh, Bitcoins every 10 minutes. Um, and for the fir first 210,000 blocks, that's what happened. So 210,000 times 50 is 10 and a half million. So half the supply of all Bitcoin came into existence during the first 210,000 blocks. 210,000 times 10 is roughly four years. So we, we call this uh, the four-year cycle. So that was the first uh, four years. Uh, it, uh, produce 10 and a half million. The next four years, the block reward uh, is 20, every, every 10 minutes, it was 25. So it's exactly half of what it used to be 50. So for the next 210,000 blocks, it was uh, 25 and 25 times 210,000 is 5.25 million. That's how many more came into existence over the next four years. The third, uh, third uh, set of 210,000 blocks, it was 12 and a half. And that's half of whatever 5.25 million is. And that's how many Bitcoins came into existence in those four years. Currently, it is 6.25. So every four years, it happens. Um, you know, the first happening was early 2013. Uh, the second happening was May of 2016. Um, or like July of 2016, uh, uh, and the latest happening was May of 2020. So what seems to happen is that when uh, when less Bitcoins are produced, what happens is there's a supply shock. There's uh, less supply on the market that the miners uh, make available. As a result of that, um, 
the the money uh, like the the supply shrinks and demand goes up, and then you you get like a significant price appreciation. But it takes some time for it to percolate through the market. So 2013, we had the bubble from ten dollars to two hundred dollars, and then later in the year to a hundred dollars to from a hundred dollars to eleven hundred dollars. Uh, similar in 2017, which was about a year afterwards, uh, we went from you know, 2,200 to, uh, you know, 19,000, something like that, uh, within, within a short span of time because of this um, lack of supply. Um, we're, we're starting to see that in, in the, uh, this year uh, as a result of the happening last year. Uh, we're currently at 50,000. Beginning of the year, it was like 20,000. Mm-hmm. So there, there's uh, been significant price appreciation as well. So all that um, said, uh, you know, during these uh, happenings and like, you know, uh, appreciation of the happenings, we go up generally about like anywhere from 10 to 20 X. I'm going to say 10 X from 20,000. It's going to be around uh, 200,000 probably at the end of the year. We're about, you know, we're, we're not too far away. I think that's two doublings from here, um, which wouldn't be a terrible thing. Yeah. No, that wouldn't be a terrible thing. (laughs) So I'm, I'm guessing I haven't read it yet, but I'm guessing that if you want to learn more about Bitcoin, people can go grab your book. Thank God for Bitcoin. Do you want to tell them a little bit about it? Yeah. So thank God for Bitcoin is, uh, is the moral argument for Bitcoin. This is, um, okay you know, uh, sort of talking about the current monetary system and how it's a cesspool of cronyism and theft and things like that. And going through sort of the implications, uh, much of which are, are obvious, but not necessarily uh, easy to trace back to money, but stuff like materialism, um, you know, the hyper politicization of everything, including like epidemiology, right? Like (laughs) in the past year, like that, that's, somehow become politicized something that that we thought was like all about science is now like all about <laughs> politics right uh, but but a lot of that is uh, is caused by the current fiat monetary system because there exists a money printer and when there's a money printer there's money to be had for whoever controls it and that hyper politicization happens um, at the individual level because you're bringing consumption forward um, you can have whatever you want without actually really working for it. Uh, inst- instead, you're sort of enslaved for the next however long when you're paying off that debt. Um, the, uh, that that like mentality of YOLO, FOMO, and mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know materialism and all that stuff um, is a con- natural consequence of uh, fiat money as well. Uh, but yeah, we we spend like seven chapters going over the history of money, the theology of money, the you know what what money should be and what it isn't, uh, you know the effect of inflation, fiat money, how it's politicized, what it, what uh, what happens with sort of like the individual, um, you know how it affects the church. Uh, we we talk about all of that, and then chapter eight we present Bitcoin as sort of like an antidote to a lot of the ills of the fiat system. And, uh, and we, we conclude that Bitcoin is a much more moral money and, uh, and that, uh, you know, it's a way to opt out of this current system, which is horribly corrupt and horribly um, politicized and everything else. Right. That's awesome. I, I'm totally going to go grab your book. That sounds (laughs) really interesting. So, you know, Mm. 
you'll have one one new sale at least. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we we've had a pretty good sale so far. Um, uh, and you know, I've been trying to go on a lot of Christian podcasts to talk about it, and it's uh, it, it's it's been interesting. There there's um, a large group of people that are finding it useful, even if they don't come from like a Christian background, despite, you know, us having, uh, ha having marketed to that audience and, you know, putting a lot of Bible verses in it, for example. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think it's, it's been very good uh, to hear from a lot of people whom this has impacted. I, I've uh, heard from a lot of Bitcoiners that are like, yeah, I, um, I've been trying to convince my dad for the last five years. Um, I gave him your book and, you know, he, he's, he, he's a strong Christian and he finally read it and he said, all right, let's go get some Bitcoin, right? Like, uh, I, I've, I've heard a lot of stories like that. Um, and on the other side, uh, people that were like, you know, I've been into Bitcoin for a while. I never really thought of it this way. And I've been an atheist, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm reconsidering because um, there, there is sort of like a moral center that we need to think about. And, you know, this uh, an, an interesting foundation for me to explore. So um, very interesting in how it's, uh, it's being sort of received by the market. We're obviously very happy with it. Good. So obviously I will link to that in the, in mm -hmm. the show notes for this, but what is the best way to connect with you? I am available on Twitter at Jimmy song. Um, I have a newsletter, jimmysong.substack.com. If you subscribe, you can just press reply and I will get the re email. Um, I also have uh, uh, um, a bunch of other accounts on uh, other social media platforms, which I can't quite remember. Obviously <laughs> have the three books that I've written, Programming Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, and Thank God for Bitcoin. Uh, programming Bitcoin is more for um, technical people uh, that already know programming to get the, to learn the guts of the Bitcoin protocol. Uh, the little Bitcoin book is more of a primer on Bitcoin period, just like for people that don't know anything about Bitcoin. It's it's a very quick read, like 70 some odd pages, and you can uh, you know read it in one sitting, but it'll give you a good idea of what Bitcoin is and help you to understand why it's important for stuff like human rights. Uh, um, and of course, thank God for Bitcoin. All of those books are uh, viewable, or at, at least you can see the links to them on my website, programmingbitcoin.com. That's the title of my first book. Perfect. Well, do you have any last closing thoughts that you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, it's, I know this space can be kind of intimidating mm -hmm. and it's, uh, um, it's confusing and there's a lot of people saying a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I, I would really encourage all of your listeners to learn more about what money is because we're, we are not taught this at school. We like mo right. most people have no idea what, what it is. They just know that what they can do with it, which is buy houses, cars, and eggs or whatever. Um, right. But they don't, they don't really understand what money is and like learning that and understanding it will take you a long way towards understanding what Bitcoin is all about and how it provides value and how it fixes things. So Hopefully you can pick up my books and uh, and learn a little bit, but uh, but that would be my pitch uh, for you uh, who uh, might be new to this industry. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today and sharing all your Bitcoin wisdom with the audience. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, you guys, I loved that interview and i hope that you did too uh jemmy song just 
killed it with the Bitcoin and the explanation. And I truly 100% support him and the fact that like, do your own research, go Google, go, well, don't Google, but duck, duck, go and go do the research for yourself to figure out what is the best thing for you. So thank you guys for listening to today's show with Jimmy Song. I just want to say be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any of our, you know, new episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, we would definitely love a review on whatever podcast player you're listening to us on. So be sure to connect with us on all your favorite social media platforms. You can find us at Socially Powered where we will be sharing tips, tricks, and the latest episodes on all things social, crypto, and blockchain related. 